good to be with you, Northern Hills. Uh, you are the very best. It's true. Sue and I are on a Harley ride. We've been married for 44 years this summer. I planted a church in the fall of 1988, the fall of 1988. Stayed there for 30 years. This fall will be the fifth anniversary year, the fifth anniversary year of me handing it off to a younger man. And the church is thriving. It is growing. It is succeeding. And Sue and I now get to attend there, serve there, continue to give there. I just didn't want to be the old guy who overstayed, okay? Just didn't want to be that guy. And Northern Hills, I want to tell you what a joy it is for me to be with you here on this particular Sunday. I mean, the first guest guy you've ever had, okay? Golly. And I want you to know, now he built me up. There's, there's, there's two people that I respect, that I admire, and that I honor as a young couple, and that is Brian and Nicole. Okay, give it up for Brian and Nicole. I mean, I mean I'm just going to say this right now. Brian is such a strong leader. As a church, you are just now beginning to see what is God's going to do and what he's now taking place up to this point. I mean, I've been tracking with you all, okay? Like, like this church has had the most baptisms it's ever had. And I'll encourage you, if you have not as of yet been baptized, gone public with your faith in Jesus Christ, then July 30th, make sure you sign up to be a part of that baptism experience. There's nothing like it, okay? Last week, you heard Brian talk about the fact he gave a report of what God's doing through the school that's on this campus, the heart you all have for young families and young couples, which is why you're seeing unprecedented numbers of young families attend this church. There is a Bible verse. When, 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 um, when I was thinking about this weekend that comes to my mind, it's called Proverbs, Proverbs 27, 17, and it says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Here's what I deeply admire about Brian as a leader. He allows others to sharpen him. He seeks advice. He seeks counsel. He pursues wisdom. And what he just said, I actually put in my notes, because I remember he and Nicole were considering this opportunity of stepping into the lead pastor role of Northern Hills Church. And my wife Sue and I just happened to be there at the same place of what he was going through to consider if God's call was on his life to be a church planter. And the humble way that he had probed for advice on what to do. And in our hour together, um, we got a brief glimpse of the magnitude of the kind of leaders they are. And so I'm just going to let you all know this right now. You have a real gift in God's a providential you know, supply for this church in Brian and Nicole Bigger. You just need to know that, okay? Uh, you just need to know that. And... Um, the other thing I want to say is, this past April, you as a church, you funded, you supported through volunteer hours and man, manpower and woman power. We had eight different churches represented on this campus, brand new churches in this past April. And you, Northern Hills, are having a hand in God's transformative work in those eight cities all over the United States because of your generosity. And I want to just say thank you to you for that. So you got to know, because of my role and my longevity, okay, I'm an old guy. I've been around a lot of churches, and I've seen a lot of churches. This is a phenomenal church, and it's being led by a very special young leader. And I just had to communicate that, and that wasn't, that wasn't just not knowing what you were going to say before I got up here. So, okay, here we go. Let me set it up this week this way. I remember when I was in college, 
The year was my freshman year, 1977. How many of you here in the house today weren't even born yet? Raise your hands. Raise your hands. Okay. That's like most of you. Okay. That's like most of you. I wrestled Division I for Division I wrestling years ago. And even though it was Division I wrestling, wrestling was like a minor sport, okay? See, we didn't, we didn't travel like the, the basketball team did at that school or, or football teams do at most Division I schools on, on a chartered flights. We traveled by either team van, team van, and our head coach's deluxe converted van, okay? You know, for those of you old enough, the kind with the shag carpet, okay, the captain seats in the front, the wood paneling interior, and this one came with an awesome eight-track player, okay? Anyway, we're traveling from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I went to school, to go up to the upper peninsula of Michigan, Northern Michigan University, where, whereas you travel there, because, I, see, I grew up, I'm, I'm, I'm now in California, but I grew up in Northwest Ohio. I'm a rural kid, okay? I'm, a, I'm a, from a farming community. And so I'm used to this. There's tons of forests. There's tons of woodlands and stuff and back roads, just like Sue and I coming here from California. And by the way, we don't take highways, freeways. We do back roads. Back roads is what we do. And so we're coming up. And I was surprised anybody's going to be at church today because as we're coming up through 285, coming up through 285, going through Monarch Pass and coming up through that way, the, the, there was literally a line of cars all the way backed up to Denver, okay, all going that way. So I'm, I'm thankful you all are here right now. Just wanted to tell you that, okay. So we're, we're, we're driving up to Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and uh, I'm in the coach's van, and I'm in the front seat because I get kind of car sick. And it's 11 o'clock at night, and I'm sort of dozing off when all of a sudden I hear my coach scream out loud, oh, my God. And then almost simultaneously, this thud. And it rocketed me out of my seat. I hit the dash. The van skidded sideways. And I'm in that little spot in those kind of vans between the seat and the dashboard. And as the van comes to a stop from the slide, I go to raise up to try to put myself back in the seat. Glass from the shattered window is all covering me. But I can't exactly rise up because something's in my seat. See, we hit a deer going 75 miles an hour. And even though this is Colorado, most of you didn't have to deal with a deer on your way to Northern Hills this morning. See, we hit this deer going 75 miles an hour, and its right leg and back hindquarter was now in my seat. This, oh my God, OMG experience is kind of like life. When all hell breaks loose, when the suffering hits, when the trials come, what, what makes an OMG experience so harsh is you don't see them coming. Life is filled with a lot of unexpected circumstances. Pain, sorrow, turmoil, tension that catch us off guard. Some that lay us flat on our back. Like no, nobody plans to have an accident. They just come unexpectedly. L let me ask you right now. Just I want to see a show of hands. What, if you're watching online, you, you can do it too. Just like show of hands right now. Show of hands. How many of you here, how many of you have experienced some sort of OMG moment or, 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 or moments 
trials, turmoil, tension, suffering, pain, sorrow in the first half of 2023? Raise your hands. How many of you? Nice and high. Nice and high. Come on, come on. Raise them up. Yeah. What do, what do, what do you do when you get that phone call? What do you do when your world collapses? When the divorce papers are served? When the bankruptcy is filed? When your kids go off the deep end? When you're trying and trying and trying to get pregnant, but all the fertility treatments in the world aren't seeming to work? How do you handle those OMG situations in life? Here's some things I want to say to you. And, and you can take snapshots of the screen if you want to take notes, but I'm going to go through these really fast. Here's some things I've learned as I was a pastor for a lot of years, trying to care for and show compassion and mercy to people, people like you. First off, OMG moments, they never leave you where they find you. They never leave you when they, where they find you. See, OMG moments, number two, will either leave you bitter or better. Bitter or better. Because when suffering and setbacks, that's, that's those OMG experiences occur, you and I as humans have two choices. Number one, you could step up and overcome, which shows that you want to be better. Or number two, you can shrink back, shrivel up, and quit and become bitter as a result. So today, well, here's what we're going to do as we wind up our series in Ruth. We're going to see two people who stepped up big time. And as a result, they became better. But here's the neat thing. Not only did they become better, but because of the choices they made all those years ago, we now, in a 21st century world, get to be better too. The unfortunate reality for most people, though, who are confronted by an OFG experience, crisis, turmoil, or trauma, what I've noticed is, and it's only exponentially increased since COVID pandemic, is it makes most people bitter, not better. And the reason is, we lack a critical character trait in life. It's a character trait that marked the lives of, of the central characters of the book of Ruth. And that would be Boaz and Ruth. So, so for review purposes right now, if you have a Bible, pull it out. If you, if you have a phone, and, you, and you, if, you, if you don't have a Bible, you can just look on your phone. You, gotta, like, you, know, you can just download there. The one I use is called YouVersion. You can do that and go to the book of Ruth. It's in the first part of the Bible, okay? And, um, and we're going to look at chapter 1 really quick, because just by way of review. Because they say right now the average church person comes to a church once every three weeks. So chances are, you didn't. You, last time you were here was for Brian's first service, okay, in this series. So let me give you a little review here, okay? This guy named Elimelech makes a decision because of an OMG circumstance in his country. There was famine. There was no food to eat. So he uprooted his family, and he went to a country he wasn't supposed to go to. And then all in three verses, you talk about OMG experiences, hitting a deer at 75 miles an hour. Look at this. Ruth chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. So they uprooted their family. This dude ends up dying. So they married Moabite women. One of the women's name was Orpah, and the other one's Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. And right there, you, you, in this thing, this whole story here, you see two responses of life. 
One woman steps up and becomes better as a result. One woman literally shrinks back and she gets bitter. Look at, look at, look at the next part. Okay, so in, in Ruth 1, I'm just giving you a little review here. So it says the two women, that would be Naomi and Ruth, they went on until they came to Bethlehem. So after that experience, they go back to, their, to, to Naomi's home country. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred or excited because of them. And the women exclaimed, all the women in town, can this be Naomi? And she says, don't, don't you dare call me Naomi. Call me Mara. By the way, Mara means bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter I went away full, I left this country full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, which by the way means pleasant. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has screwed me over. That's what she's saying. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. It's all God's fault. How many of you here have ever had a painful Maybe not in the first six months, but how many of you here have ever had one of those, you know, like real painful trauma, uh, hurtful experiences in your life? Raise your hands. How many of you ever had one? Everybody's hand should be up. Mine's up. Okay. The, the truth is some of us respond to those situations like, why me? Why now? And God, this is all your fault. And that's what she's doing. Now, the interesting thing is Ruth had a similar OMG experience, right? She married this dude, and he ends up dying. And by the way ends up dying because she's barren. She's not even able to have kids, at least it seems. She responds in a different matter. Look, 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 look what she says in Ruth 1, 15 and 16. It says, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back. So she, she, before they got to Bethlehem, she tried to talk her out of going. So she's gone to her, her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't you urge me to leave and turn back from you? Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. And so in verse 18, it says, when Naomi realized that Ruth was, when Naomi realized that with Ruth was, say the word. What's the word was what? Determined. When Ruth were, that she was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. The key word there is determined. This is so important. The character trait that separates these two women, Naomi a little older, Ruth quite a bit younger, is, is this younger gal's got determination. It's her grit. And that's what sets everything into motion for chapter 4. Ruth isn't looking at what she's lost. She's looking at what she's gained. She's gained in a mother-in-law that she dearly loves. She's gained a relationship with her mother-in-law's God. And by the way, the word determined means she would not be stopped. And I'm going to tell you all right now, if you could learn to incorporate this character trait into your life before trauma, turmoil, tension, suffering, and oh my God moment comes. It sets you up for real success in life. Because when oh my God moments come, and they will, we, we don't do and won't do what's easy. Blame God or blame somebody else. We do what's the right thing to do. We roll up our sleeves and we realize that God can bring good out of this. So, so the focus of the message here on this particular weekend is this idea of determination. Because without, without it, without grit, bitterness leaks out of humans like us whenever we encounter those OMG moments of life. But with it, grit, determination, when those moments come, you and everyone around you gets better as a result of it.
if you haven't read this one book, it's, it's called Great by Choice. The author's name is Jim Collins. And uh, he talks about a concept in the book called a 20-mile march. And here's a quote from the book. Just look at it as I read, read it from the screen. It says, the strength of a person's character, their grit and drive to success, is determined by whether or not they can finish what they started no matter the hurdles, obstacles, and or challenges. In other words, no matter the size of your OMG moment in your life, the obstacle, the hurdle, the difficulty that you experience, you, you succeed by going through it in spite of it. And talk about the person who experienced the biggest OMG moment of all, which would be Jesus. Look at John chapter 4, verse 34. This is what Jesus says. He says, my nourishment comes from doing the will, the plan of God, and from finishing his work. Jesus didn't shrink back. His nourishment was the most bitter there could be. Betrayal. He was beaten and eventually murdered. But talk about better. On the third day, he rise from the grave. In fact, dictionary.com describes grit. This is the, the, it describes it as firmness of character and indomitable spirit. Indomitable means strong, resolute, determined. That's the concept for Ruth 1.18. And it's a lot, what allows us to have chapter 4. Without Ruth 1.18, listen now, there's no chapter 4. And without chapter 4, there's no Jesus. And without Jesus, there's no hope. And without hope, there's no possibility for life, real life. You see, it's been said that you don't determine a person's greatness by their wealth, their education, or their talent. You determine a person's greatness by what it takes to stop them. Now, I want you to remember those words as we go through chapter 4. You determine a person's greatness by what it takes to stop them. And to set this up, we've got to look at the very last verse from where Brandon left off last week. In, in, in Ruth chapter 3, just look at it. I'm going to throw it up on the screen. Ruth chapter 3, after Boaz had an interaction with Ruth in the night hours, you can go read all about it for yourself in Ruth chapter 3. She comes home to Naomi. Naomi asks her, how did it go? And then, then Naomi says to Ruth, wait, my daughter. In other words, be patient until you find out what happens. For the man, that's Boaz, will not, what's the word there? Will not what? Say it. Rest. He will not rest until the matter is settled today. He will not be, he will not be stopped. See, Ruth has it, which is grit. And you're going to see right now that Boaz has it as well. But I've got to stop and ask you the question. Do you have it? Because I think the more appropriate thing would be, when it comes to a life that honors God, do you find it easily to get discouraged when you encounter an OMG moment in life? If it was multiple choice, usually, always, sometimes, never. I think we saw the reality for what most Christians do in OMG moments over the past 36 months. See, what, what people say to you, you have the ability to hang in there during an OMG experience. And during the experience, you think the best, you act the best, and you believe the best. 
no matter the cost, no matter the sacrifice, no matter the hardship? Would people say you have the ability to hang in there and honor God? And chapter 4 is a turning point. This, this, this is amazing. So look at chapter 4, verse 1. Look at what happens. Okay, let's, let's go for it. Here we go. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer. Now let me just pause right there. What does that mean, just as the guardian redeemer? Well, in chapter 3, Boaz told Ruth about a person who was first in line to resolve the OMG situation that had, that had happened for her and for her mother-in-law, Naomi. In fact, guardian redeemer, if you look at the note in most of your Bibles, here's what it says. I'll put it on the screen. It says the Hebrew word for guardian redeemer is a legal term for one who has the obligation to redeem a relative in serious difficulty. An obligation. And we know that Naomi and Ruth were two of those people who basically hit a deer going 75 miles an hour in their life. So let's go back to the text in Ruth 4. In verse 1, it says, Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. And Boaz took 10 elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Now let us just pause here. Because Boaz gets there early. When the guy shows up, he speaks to the man. And, and he wants to do things legally, ethically, and honorably. So in verse 2, he gathers 10 elders. The audience reading this would know that 10 elders makes it a legal binding contract. And then in verse 3, look at verse 3, it says, Then he said to the guardian redeemer, again, now let's just, just pause for some context. Okay, the chapter opens up with Boaz going to the city gate. Why the city gate? Because that's essentially the courthouse in those days. Just like legal actions oftentimes happen in courthouses where it is we live, work, and play, in that day, legal transactions happened at the city gates. This is an open place. So this wasn't being done on the down low. This wasn't hidden. This wasn't a shady transaction. This is a very public engagement. So let's go back to the text. Look, it says there, Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you. So the guy says, what does the guy say? Look at it next. It says, I will redeem it. And at that point, you can almost think everybody in the town square is going, Woo! A wave happens throughout the audience, right? Well, verse 5, look at what verse 5 says. Then Boaz says to the guardian redeemer, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire, everybody say those three words out loud. Everybody say it. What is that? You acquire what? Ruth the Moabite. See, Mo, Boaz makes very sure that the man understands the facts. He's a straight shooter. I like that about Boaz. Now let's keep reading. Then Boaz says, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, who's the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Again, this is very, because most of us, what I'm realizing is most of us don't know the background. Said, by way of review, according to the custom, because lineage is so important, Naomi's husband died. Her son, who was married to Ruth, also died, so who would take care of them? 
Well, the closest family member responsible for claiming and assuming the family property, they would be first in line, and they had. They had to absorb the property so that the name of the family would continue. So Boaz asked him, would you like to buy the land of Elimelech? Now, we don't know this person. Is he a first cousin or a second cousin? The dude just says, of course I'll buy it. More land? I'll inherit it. But then Boaz very wisely says, it's a package deal. You get the land, but you also get an old lady. And you get a Moabitress. And if Ruth, the Moabitress, gets pregnant, well, then you just need to know a portion of your inheritance is going to go to a mixed breed child. And that baby, and possibly your family, will be looked down forever. Right there in that period of time, that man just hit a deer going 75 miles an hour. And so that guy, facing an obstacle, a hurdle, or a difficulty, he starts backpedaling real fast when he hears the whole story. And he says, I, 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 yeah, I, I can't, I won't, I won't. Look, at, look at it. In verse 6 it says, at this the garden redeemer said in verse 6, then I, I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. This dude had the responsibility to take care of his family and loved ones. He knew they were part of his family. Culturally, it was a commitment you made. And he didn't fulfill his commitment. It was a law. And this man didn't obey the law. He failed the family responsibility. And just so we know, Bethlehem isn't a big town. He would have known that Elimelech and Naomi had left. He would have known that after 10 years that Elimelech had died and Naomi came back. This guy knew what the commitment was all about. He didn't follow through with it. Because what came with it were potential problems and difficulties and hurdles. He didn't have it. Do you? But Boaz, the dude has it. He steps up, and as a result, he overcomes and makes everything better. He redeems these women. Look at Ruth chapter 4, verse 8. Ruth chapter 4, verse 8. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. Now, now here, here's a, if this was a TV show, right at that moment, there would be a commercial break. There would be a commercial break. And everybody would want to know, okay, because it, it would be like a pause. Is, is, will he do it? Will he do it? And everybody's holding their breath. They're waiting for the commercial to end, right? Well, now you can fast forward nowadays, right? See, I'm the old guy. So, 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 so what happens? Well, look at, look at verse 9. Look at in verse 9. Then Boaz announced, he announced to the elders right there, and all the people, today you're witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilead, and Malon. And I've acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you all are witnesses. The guy who has the responsibility says no. And what's fascinating to me, just as a little aside, did you realize that everybody in the book of Ruth is named? you got Elimelech, you've got Naomi, you've got Malon, Kilion, Ophrah, and, and, and Ruth. But this guy isn't given a name other than Guardian Redeemer. He didn't even get his name inserted into the story. He could have been the hero, but instead, he's a zero. Who's the hero? 
Who's the hero? Who is it? Have I helped you now? Who's the hero? Boaz. Boaz. See, here's the principle, friends. Don't, if you're not going to get anything I say today, get this. Get this. Real determination and godly grit is always displayed by holding on and doing what others won't do, but you do because you want God's best for those around you and for yourself. Real determination, godly grit, is always displayed by holding on and doing what others won't. But you do. Because you want God's best for you and for those around you. This guy had an obligation to do the right thing, and he didn't do it. I wonder, just, just out of curiosity, how many of you have experienced an oh my God hitting a deer at 75 miles an hour kind of occurrence in your life? In your marriage, in your finances, in your business, in your friendship circle. How did you do? Romans, or excuse me, Ruth 4.10. Look, you know, so it ends with, you are the witnesses. And then the very next verse in, in Ruth 4.11, this is phenomenal. The, the whole crowd then, I want everybody, let's all pretend like we're the crowd. Let's all pretend like we're the crowd there that day at the city gates. Let's all read this out loud and read it as if something spectacular just happened. Let's all pretend we're, we're now in the, in the play, and let's all read it like something spectacular just happened. So here we go. Here we go. Ready? Here we go. We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah who together built up the family of Israel. And that sounds so nice. Rachel and Leah, who together, you know, that's like a pithy slogan, teamwork makes dream work. They together built up the nation of Israel. However, remember, these witnesses are saying this hundreds of years after it happened. They're saying this after they have the benefit of seeing the blessing of God. They are saying this as if no deer has ever been hit going 75 miles an hour. They are saying this as if there were no OMG moments. As if all was beautiful and all was wonderful and all was amazing in Leah and Rachel's life. See, here's what the problem with that, friends. We don't get to live life through that lens. We don't live our everyday present reality through that lens that Rhea and, uh, Rachel and Leah literally built up the house of Israel. We don't live life like all life is tidy and pleasant and neat and wonderful. We don't get to live life through that lens in our present reality in the 21st century world of Naomi knowing that I'm going to hold a baby named Obed in my arms even though I'm going to cry for years and years about the loss of my husband and then lose two of my sons. We don't taste everyday life as if it was a wonderful, multi-course banquet. Because we only get to taste life's ingredients one at a time. One of the things I love about taking our Harley ride in the summer times, we do it every July, is Sue loves cinnamon rolls. 
She loves cinnamon rolls. I love chocolate chip cookies. So every little town we come up to, we always find out, do they have cinnamon rolls or chocolate chip cookies? Because she's happy and I'm happy. So if you know where the best chocolate chip cookies are, you tell me after the service, okay? I love chocolate chip cookies. I already know the best cinnamon rolls are at the Glen Haven General Store in Glen Haven. If you've not been there, go there, okay? Because they're the best. Anyway, that was a little commercial. So, so here's the deal. Have you, ever tasted the, have you ever tasted the ingredients in a chocolate chip cookie one at a time? Put a whole tablespoon of baking soda in your mouth. Put a whole teaspoon of vanilla in your mouth. We don't get to taste life's ingredients as a wonderful banquet. We taste them one at a time. And some of them, because oh my God moments taste really, really awful. I think of a lot of us showing up at Northern Hills. And we're, you come in. I was watching you. I stood out in the, on the lobby. I could check, check with that one, the one service host, uh, you know, Usher. She was watching me. Because I'm looking at most of you. You don't come in smiling. Our faces oftentimes look sad or, 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 or sorrowful. Because the truth is, what you went through this week, some of you, it didn't taste good. And you're trying to focus on God with a taste in your mouth of discouragement or disappointment or worry or fear. Naomi's name has the meaning of pleasant, but life didn't taste pleasant. No, because she says, call me bitter. But can you blame her? When someone goes through a heartache that she went through, the pain she went through, you don't say, oh, it'll be all right. How can you replace those boys? Even if God gave me 10 more, it wouldn't set aside the two that are gone. That's how it is in our lives, is it not? So don't you dare tell me it's going to be okay. Because when that kind of bitterness hits you, you don't even want to hear about better from anyone else, particularly a guest speaker from California. What a strange blessing. Let me give you a little background of the two people, Rachel and Leah. So you can fully understand when the witnesses said this blessing, may the Lord make you like Rachel and Leah. You may not know it, but it goes all the way back to Jacob. Why they give a blessing? Because when Boaz goes to redeem and take Ruth as his wife, and Naomi, he takes her in, all this leads up to this blessing. May the Lord make you like Leah and Rachel. And for those of you who are kind of new to the Bible, Leah and Rachel, they're sisters. And in this passage, it sounds like they're on the same page together. See, Jacob is the guy who happened to meet Rachel. So let me just give you a little Bible history, okay? And even though the Bible doesn't say it, Rachel was a very, 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 very good-looking woman. But her sister, Leah, is not really, really, really good-looking. The Bible says that Laban, who is the dad, Laban is the dad of Rachel and Leah, Jacob wanted to marry Rachel, so he asked for her hand in marriage, and the dad said, sure, but you have to work for seven years for her. So Jacob did it. Jacob worked seven years, and on his wedding night, the next morning, the Bible says something crazy. Listen to this. There was Leah in his bed. Say it with me. Oh, my God. Laban tricked Jacob. Laban said, hey, the way it works here in our, in our custom is if you want Rachel, you have to first marry her sister, Leah. And if you give me another seven years of work, I'll give you Rachel. But you still have to keep Leah. And Jacob goes, 
Oh, my God. But he agrees. And that's how I know Rachel was very, very attractive because he did another seven years of work for her, okay? She was beautiful, but what you may don't know is she was barren. She couldn't have kids. Leah, on the other hand, the Bible says she has weak eyes. I don't even know what that means, okay? But it can't be good. <laughs> I mean, the picture, the picture that comes into my mind is not very attractive. She wasn't attractive, but get this. She was productive. So she started having babies. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. Rachel is unable to have kids, so she gives her servant Bilhah to Jacob to sleep with, and Jacob goes, okay, <laughs> you know. So they have two more babies by the servant girl. Then Leah can't have kids, so she gives her servant Zilpah, and now we've got eight kids and another couple more kids, and then finally Rachel has, has Joseph, and when she's dying, she has Benjamin. Now, why did I tell you all that? Because it helped me understand, listen, every Rachel opportunity comes with a Leah circumstance. Take it out of the realm of people for a moment. Rachel was what Jacob really wanted. Everything you really, really, really want in life is going to come with something you don't want. God, I want success. See so many businesswomen and so many businessmen. Great. Comes with stress, sleeplessness, and sacrifice. See, the question is really, if you knew Leah came with it, would you still want Rachel? If you knew the bitterness that came with it, Naomi, would you still want to be part of a Limelech's family? Boaz, if a Moabite comes with it, do you still want what comes with it? Would you want it? If you knew what comes with it? Folks, get, get this. Boaz redeemed this family after the person who was supposed to redeem her didn't do it. But the person was obligated to do it, but he didn't do it because he didn't want what came with it. Because it came with the Moabite. Boaz said, now do I want the land. I'll take what comes with it. Now, before I wrap this up, I want to show you this because this is wonderful. While Leah and Rachel were having all those babies, they were essentially doing it to get Jacob to, to love them. But from God's perspective, it was all coming together to lead toward, toward reconciliation and redemption for you today. So God is saying, be patient. Even if life gives you OMG moments, it's going to be a mixed blessing. It'll be Leah and Rachel. It'll be Boaz and Ruth. And I'm just telling you all this right now because you're holding a blessing. Some of you right now, you're holding a blessing. But in the moment of pain and turmoil, you don't recognize it. The baby that was born to Ruth and Boaz is Obed. 
And if you actually read the text, it says that the Lord had to enable Ruth to have a baby. So most scholars think that she didn't have a baby like Sarah until she was very advanced in age. She was unproductive. And it was a miracle. Well, Obed had a son, and that son's name was Jesse. Jesse had a son, and that son's name was David. And David is the king through which came forth somebody that we call who? Say it. Jesus. But if you go all the way back, listen to me now. If you go all the way back, it came from 10 generations and 10 years in Moab from a man named Perez who came from a man named Judah. And who is the mom of Judah? Anybody? Leah, the one Jacob didn't even want. You have no idea presently what you're going through right now. It very well could be a blessing. In, in, in isolation, as you're experiencing it in the moment, you'd say like Naomi, this is a bitter season for us in our marriage. This is a bitter season for us in our finances. This is a bitter season in us for trying to get kids, but we can't have kids. This is a bitter season for us as we're trying to raise our children. This is a bitter season for us with my adult parents. I don't like them much anymore. This is a, but in reality, I'm telling you right now, at some point, if you hang in there, friends, if you do not quit, you gain something better. Leah is the one who gave Jacob the baby that produced the king that produced the savior of the world, Jesus. So what I want you all to do right now is stand with me. Just let us all stand together. And I'm going to put some words on the screen right now. I'm going to put some words on the screen. Because I don't know who's in the room today. I don't, I don't know who's in the room today. But the chances are, if I had time to sit down with you over coffee, there's some of you who are having some OMG moments right now. A couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, a couple years ago, your life hit a deer going 75 miles an hour. And the implications and the ramifications of what that's done to you, what that's done to your inner core, what that's done to the fabric of your relationships, your pocketbook, your portfolio, it's been altogether bitter. But here's what I want you to say before you leave today, if you're willing, to say, God, I want your plan for my life and I want what comes with it. Because here's the reality, friends. Some of you came in today and you came in at a place where you're feeling like you want to give up, where you're hurting and you want to throw in the towel. You're in a desperate place. You're in Moab. It's a place you never thought you would be. And it's okay to say like Naomi, God, there was a time in my life where I went out full. God, there was a time in my finances, in my marriage, in my parenting, in my job that was full and awesome. But God, now I feel so empty. It's okay to say that. But it's also okay to say, God, I want to see that reversed in my life. And so before you walk out the doors, I want you to say this. I came in empty, 
but I'm going out full. So if you feel okay saying those words from the screen out loud, then let's make that our commitment to God at the close of this book, Ruth. Because that's the principle or the point. Another pandemic may come. Are you going to be bitter or better? Your finances go in the toilet. You can be bitter or better. Marriage is doing really good today, but tomorrow it could be worse. You're going to be bitter or better. So if you're willing to make this all before God, let's say it out loud right now. Ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. God, I want my, your plan for my life, and I want what comes with it. If you're willing, say it one more time. God, I want your plan for my life, and... I want what comes with it. Let's pray. God, as we close this time out with this song, talking about how great you are as a God. In the moment, sometimes we don't think you're all that great, and then some. Because we've hit a deer going 75 miles an hour. And we end up being like the guardian redeemer who says, no, I know I'm supposed to still be thoroughly honoring you, God, but I don't want what comes with it. So instead of blasting through, you bomb out. Instead of lasting, you're leaving. Instead of staying in the game, you've already mentally decided to quit the team. God, may our prayer be, I want your plan for my life, and I want what comes with it, even if it comes with an oh my God moment. I ask this for everyone here in this room, including myself today. Let's sing the song. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.